So good to be with you guys today, worshiping together in God's presence and just enjoying His love that He has for us. I want to welcome you if you're new with us this morning and see some friends here all the way from Ontario and other visitors. We are glad that you're here this morning. And uh, we're going to get into the scriptures here in just a moment. We're in this series called The God Who Heals, and we're already at the halfway mark. Can you believe it? Uh, out of six messages, we're, we're reaching the 50% uh, area. And uh, I just sense that today's message is very, very special uh, for many of us. So here's where you can turn to in your Bibles. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 12, Galatians chapter 6, Luke chapter 13, we might get to John 9. We didn't at the 9 a.m. service, uh, but we'll see. Maybe John 9. And then this one coming up really quick, Exodus 15 at verse 26. So we're looking into the Scriptures to see what God has to say to us about the reality that He is a God who heals people. He still heals people today. Isn't that right? That is right. And uh, we've got one special message coming up in this series on October 15th, Sunday evening. In fact, the whole series culminates on Sunday night, the 15th. So the last message is not Sunday morning, it's Sunday evening, and I hope you come for that. We're also having a special healing service, and we're encouraging you to be there, uh, to take it in, or to bring a friend who has a need in their body. And I want to encourage you to bring people who are not yet Christians. This is for them too. This is not just for us. And you might think, well, what are we going to do that night so I can tell my non-Christian friends? Well, you can say to them, we're going to meet in a church building. We're going to sing a bunch of songs. Someone's going to pray. We'll probably have a testimony. Somebody's going to talk for a while out of the Bible. And then we're going to pray for anybody who needs healing. It's really simple. And they'll go, okay. And uh, we trust that God will, will give you friends to bring here. Uh, you might have a need in your body as well. And I encourage you to come uh, that night and be prayed for. But, of course, every Sunday we pray for people in all the needs that they have right here at the front at the end of our services. Last week we covered how healing is based upon the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. And the verse that says, by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. And we saw that God not only has made provision for all of our sins to be taken care of, thank goodness for that, uh, but also he's made provision for all of our sicknesses, our sorrows, um, our illnesses, our diseases, internally or externally. We also find out, found out that salvation really covers three things, forgiveness of sins, and then deliverance from torment from the enemy, and then thirdly, it covers the healing of our lives, physically and emotionally. In other words, salvation is this entire package that God has put together. And there's a statement in the Bible that shows us what God wants us to know about himself. It's Exodus chapter 15 at verse 26, and it goes like this. I am the Lord who heals you. It comes out of a moment in the lives of the people of Israel when they've left Egypt. They've crossed the great sea, and they're heading out to the promised land, and uh, they grumble for a bit, and the waters of Merah get bitter for them, and the Lord says to Moses, throw a stick in the water, and the waters become sweet. And then it says in verse 26, God says to his people, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. 
This is an I am statement about God. He's revealing his character. I am the Lord, Yahweh, who heals you, Rapha. I am the healing Lord. It's something that's very intrinsic to God's nature that he's a healing God. There are a lot of other so-called gods that people pray to and they cannot heal. They don't have the power to heal as God does. Now this message today is all about navigating through those times in our lives when some of us have not experienced healing yet, when it's not occurred. And we've got to go into this in this series. That's why I put it in the middle. And you know, as Canadians, we love the middle, don't we? There's something about the middle that just calls us. We're like, we, we define ourselves always in the middle. But I do think that this is one of the most important messages in the series, and here's why. Because for a lot of Christians, they have heard more about how God doesn't heal than how he has healed and how he still heals. And in our part of the world, we have to reawaken to this amazing truth that is all over the scriptures, that God actually wants to heal us, is capable of healing us, and is waiting to heal us. For some Christians, this has affected their whole posture towards God and their whole ability to believe in in Him for healing in their own lives. People have had some difficult experiences. I understand that. Sometimes that results from us seeing people not healed when we prayed for them. Sometimes it results from us building a belief system or a theology out of what God doesn't do. Can I say this to you with all gentleness? Be very careful about that. There's not a chapter in the Bible that you can point to where it says, here are all the reasons why people don't get healed when they're prayed for. There's not one chapter in the Bible that deals with that. Jesus never really addressed the subject. So I'm thinking... If he's not really addressing the subject, we need to be very careful, even as we go into this message, that we do not set ourselves up for unbelief. Amen? Amen. We've got to really watch that. Unbelief is a sin. It, it should be repented of. Weak faith can be transformed, but unbelief is something God does not want to deal with. So the purpose for this message, uh, I'm hoping, is to find some comfort for some of you who just need comfort. You need encouragement. You've gone through tough things. And you need to know that the grace of God is there for you and that his love is, is, is flowing to you right now through Christ. I hope that you get comforted. And then I also hope that some of us will be able to remove some of the barriers that we have put up towards this teaching on healing and tear them down even today. So we're going to attempt to cover both of these things. And I want you to know that this message is going to require from you your utmost engagement. It's really going to require from you energy, focus, attention. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. It's worth working for. And even after this message is over, I'm saying to you with all my heart, don't just let it land on you today. Go home. Revisit these scriptures. Think about them. Pray through them. Look up other verses yourself. See what your Bible has to say to you about healing. This is a really important moment in the series. And so it's going to be a little bit more rigorous than most messages that we get into. But you guys are up for that. I know you love the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's start with this statement. God is always good to me no matter what. Is that true for you? You get up in the morning and say that easily? God is always good to me no matter what. Of course it's true. The Bible declares Him as a good God. 
And so as we go into this message, we must start at the foundation of it all with the goodness of God. His intrinsic perfect goodness, which means that God is all the time, constantly towards His people, towards you and I, He is always good. Never for a moment does He turn from that. There's not a shadow of turning in God in this area. Which means that God is the same constantly towards us in His goodness. He doesn't have a day where He looks at us and He says, no more goodness for you. Um, You've ran out of your choices and chances. I'm going to withhold it. God is good to us all the time, no matter what. That's true in spite of everything going on around us, right? Everything that happens in life, with all of its weird twists and turns, earthquakes in Mexico, hurricanes in Houston and Florida, economic pressure in Alberta, cold September weather that came way too early, (laughs) right? God is good to us all the time, no matter what. Either you know that and you live there from that or you struggle. Because if you don't know that God is good, it's hard. It's hard to go to Him. It's hard to trust in Him for something supernatural, something that requires faith in His uncanny ability to do something great. God is good to me no matter what. No matter if I'm walking in perfect health or not, no matter whether I'm experiencing trauma or marriage troubles or sickness or family issues, God is always, always good to me no matter what. Psalm 92 verse 15 says, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no wickedness in Him. Can you imagine if God was malevolent? If God was scheming evil for his people, coming up with ways to harm them and hurt them, there's no wickedness in God. He's always good. He's perfect. He's not confused in in his being. His attributes always unite together. God is good towards us even while he's holy and just and all-powerful. Remember that, especially when life gets hard. By the way, where does all the bad stuff come from in life? Have you noticed that there's stuff in life that we've got to get through? There's hardships and problems and things that go wrong. I, I hope you've noticed that. If not, I don't know how you, <laughs> how you look at things because every day seems to have some challenges, at least in my life. Maybe one of your days went like this. It started with you stubbing your toe in the shower. Then you dropped your grande latte in the Starbucks parking lot and wasted six bucks. And you're like, this is going to be a terrible, no good, very bad day. Shouldn't say that over yourself. And then you go to work and you find out your project has not been approved. Those in charge said, nah, not going to do that. And your hours are being cut back at work. You come home and one of your family members has a complete meltdown. And you're like, what? And then you get this bill in the mail that you weren't expecting. Maybe it was from the government of Canada saying, we've audited your income tax for the last few years and you owe us $4,000. And to top it off, (laughs) to top it off, 
You find out from your doctor, yeah, you're going to have surgery in three months. Mm. Where does all the bad stuff come from? Where does it come from? Why do we in this lifetime have those kinds of problems and irritations and, and issues and, and pain and all of that? Here's what we know from the Scriptures. This may not be from your church tradition or your upbringing, but this is what the Scriptures tell us. There once was a paradise, and our first parents lived in it, the man and the woman in the garden. And at that moment, they were experiencing complete, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, and perfect relationship with creation and the environment. Everything was right. But something happened to that original creation that actually twisted everything and distorted everything, and so we ended up having an experience called the fall of man into sin. The fall. It has great consequences. You can see all this in Genesis chapter 3. There's the breakdown that occurs. Sin enters the world as our first parents committed transgression. They did not listen to the Lord. They disobeyed Him. They ate the fruit. Their eyes were open. They knew good and evil. And they were on a death sentence from that moment. That's the origin of it all. From that one experience, we can trace all sickness, all disease, all rebellion, all chaos in life has resulted because of that. And then we grow up. We're born into sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We practice sin in our lives. And so we perpetuate the fall. That is not God's fault, right? Here we are today as people who can honestly say, yep, we have, we have helped to fulfill this, this trajectory towards fallen humanity. We've ended up alienating ourselves from God and from each other and from the world. It happened when sin crept in, when rebellion took hold of our first parents' hearts. Did you notice in Genesis 3 that Satan had a role to play here? You know, so often we say, well, that's not the devil, that's just humanity. He seems to be involved in humanity quite a bit. Have you noticed that in the Bible? He seems to be there deceiving people and trying to ruin their lives at the get-go. There's a curse put upon creation, and there's the ongoing effects of the fall which we still struggle with. A big one is dying, right? It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that to face the judgment, the Bible says. So we're all in this world together. Paradise has been shattered. The good news is the gospel calls us to redemption and wholeness and life eternal in Christ. Jesus is restoring us to the original plan of God. But every time that we go outside of God's wisdom and will, every time we live in such a way where we are not in surrender to Him, as we just sung about, we bring hardship into our own lives. For instance, if you choose to overwork for long periods of time, and if you put your body through a marathon of stress, and pressure and relentless demands without taking a good break, you're probably going to get sick. That's not God's fault. You're very likely going to fall sick in some way when you, when you overdo something, when you, when you underdo something. And we were designed for an experience of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is restoring us to through the good news of the gospel. 
And while we're on our way in this restoration process, we still say, God is good to me all the time, always, no matter what. God is good to me all the time, even when I do things wrong. And he does not always prevent consequences from coming into my life and affecting me. And that's because God has set up this whole world, this entire world system with certain laws and things that he's just put into place saying it's going to operate this way. One of them is the law of sowing and reaping. Another way to talk about it is the law of reciprocity. That there's something that we get from certain actions. Sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. <laughs> so there's positives and negatives there. It's possible to sow in a, in a way in which there's a good reward, and it's possible to sow in another way in which there's consequences. This works itself out in our lives every single day. In fact, it's true. Today, you're reaping something from what you did yesterday. You know that. That's why it matters how we live. Yes, every day is new, but things follow us. We're on a trajectory. We're reaping today what we sowed yesterday. We're reaping this week what we sowed last week. We're reaping this year what we sowed a year ago. God is involved in this. God is watching the laws of sowing and reaping. And he makes sure that things happen to fulfill that law. In Exodus 34, when Moses asked to see the Lord face to face, God hit him in a rock and appeared to him. One of the things God said to him as he went by him was this, that he visits the iniquities of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In other words, he applies the consequences of family sin patterns three and four generations. That's just the kind of God he is because he believes in sowing and reaping. So, let me put it to you this way. We've all inherited something from our parents. Hopefully some really good things. Some of you were born into a Christian home. I wasn't. I was given a start at Sunday school, and God used that to plant a seed in my life, but I wasn't raised in a Christian environment. Some of you have been, and you have inherited from, from your background a tremendous blessing. You're reaping on what has been sowed into your life. And then there's other things that we reap that aren't so good, like sin patterns, <laughs> Do you know that some people perpetuate the sins of the previous generation? Some Christians get stuck in doing again what their parents struggled with and their grandparents struggled with and their great-grandparents struggled with. Same is true for sicknesses and illnesses. I've met people who have said, oh, you know, uh, depression just runs in my family. My, my mom's depressed, my grandma's depressed, my great-grandma's depressed, and therefore, I'm going to be depressed. Well, perhaps that's coming your way, but through Jesus, that can end. It does not need to carry on any further. Healing can occur. Breakthroughs can happen. I'm certainly proof of that. In my background, there's a lot of propensity towards anxiety and depression and alcoholism. 
And uh, God has given me victory in those areas. But there were battles. Aside from that, whatever way we end up living, whatever we are doing, we're sowing and reaping all of the time. The good part of it is we can make choices now that will set us up for reaping in a good way later, right? Okay. Choices matter. Some of the things that people struggle with today are because of the choices they made yesterday or last week or last year. Just remember that when we're talking about healing, we have to look at this from many angles to try to understand what's going on in the life of the person. And I just got to let you know this. There are times in the scriptures where even God's people, even the followers of Jesus, experience extreme um, forms of Discipline, consequences in their life that God allows. For instance, in Acts chapter 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit about how much money they were pledging and giving and laying at the feet of the apostles. Do you know what happened in Acts 5? They ended up doing permanent carpet time. First, the husband comes in. Peter says, how is it that you have agreed together to lie to the Holy Spirit? He falls down dead. His wife comes in. She falls down dead. They carry their bodies out of the church. This is during a revival. There's lots we could talk about, about, you know, how dangerous it is to lie to the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit in times of renewal. But Sometimes there's extreme consequences like that. Or there's in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul's writing there to that church, and he says, some of you in the church are, are sick Um, Some of you are weak, and some of you have fallen asleep. And he didn't mean by sleeping, you're tired in the 11 a.m. service. He meant some of you have died. And what happened was, in that church, they had grieved God's heart because they were not discerning the body of Christ in their moments of intimacy with the Lord in communion. And so they reaped extreme consequences came on these Christian people. It's in your Bible. It's there to admonish us, encourage us, help us, maybe even warn us. And we also know that there's reasons why people don't get healed. And I went over them in the first message. Let me highlight them for you briefly. Um, People don't get healed because of unbelief. That's the first reason. They just don't believe you can be healed. And guess what? Very often, God won't heal them. Sometimes he'll do it for them in spite of their unbelief, but most often their faith is required in the moment. Unbelief. Matthew 13, 58 is the reference for that. Here's another one. Undealt with sin in a person's life, in a believer's life, can prevent healing. Psalm 66, verse 18. Another one is that the person has an identity in their sickness. They actually don't want to get well. They just pretend that they do. We looked at that last Sunday in John chapter 5. The man who was healed at the pool. Another one is demonic affliction. That's in Luke 13. We'll look at that later today. Another reason people aren't healed when they're prayed for is, perhaps, uh, they're not asking for it. (laughs) You might be praying for them, but they don't want it. And there's some correlation here in the Bible between asking and receiving, right? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. You've got to ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Another reason, perhaps, why people aren't supernaturally healed when they're prayed for is maybe 
God is using a pathway of natural healing to restore them physically. God is not opposed to medicine. It's not a second-class healing. He just wants to be viewed as number one. We'll look at that in a moment. And the seventh reason that people are sometimes not healed when we pray for them is we don't know. Now, that's not a perfect list. You can probably say it in different ways or add some things, but I do believe that those are some of the main reasons why people are not healed when we're praying for them. And we do end up at times saying, it hasn't happened yet. And we love them, and we don't condemn them, and we don't make them feel bad. We just say, the Lord has not done this yet, and, but lean in and keep praying and keep seeking Him and keep surrendering and, and keep trusting Him. Sometimes God is touching us in our soul in such a way that until the soul issues are healed up, he might not heal our bodies. We're learning that in this church. As we pray for people for healing often here, we're learning that sometimes as people are are being ministered to, God's going after their heart. And we're finding there's a wound there. There's a hurt there. There's grieving there. There's trauma there. There's pain there. And as the Holy Spirit ministers to their soul, often what we find is quickly after that, he takes care of the bodily issues. And I don't know why God set it up that way, but it it seems to be happening a lot. He's not just concerned with our physical needs. He's after the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. Sometimes there's a blockage in our souls. There's a barrier towards receiving the healing. And God's like, I want to deal with this in you. I want to set you free here, because once we do that, this physical need you have will change. I've seen it with my own eyes. God is so good. I mean, God sneaks up on us and heals us at times. This week, we had a training event. Pastor Nathan was leading it for for people involved in ministering to others in our church, and they had someone uh, who was there in training um, stand up as a volunteer to just sort of do a, you know, kind of a, a pretend scene of healing, but she had a need. And uh, she was prayed for and healed during the training night. Like, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Something wrong with her shoulder, and God just lifted that off her while she was there for training. It's like amazing. I love it when God sneaks up on us and heals us, and we're going, Father, you're so good. I didn't even trust you enough for that, and you still gave it. I want us to look for a moment at this whole thing in the, in the natural realm. There is healing available to people through the natural realm. Even though we're in, we're in a series on supernatural healing, we've got to touch on this because the Bible speaks about it. God is so good that he has put into creation uh, certain things that if we use them properly, they can bring about a measure of health and healing. So think of all the natural remedies. Think of medicine. Think of the science behind all of that. All of that is a gift to us. In fact, I call them grace gifts. Grace gifts. The Father built this into this world so that if we just pay attention to certain ways of living, maybe we access certain remedies, God will use that to heal and restore our bodies. It's wonderful. If you cut your finger when you're chopping stuff at home, normally you can expect your finger to heal up fairly quickly, right? It stops bleeding the cut closes, you put a Band-Aid on it, and it, it's restored. That's because God designed your body itself in a way to repair itself. You get exhausted from work and you need some rest. After the rest, you feel rejuvenated 
and ready to go ahead again. It's all just part of his grace gifts. And you might say, well, where is that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. So we're going to look at a couple passages here. I'll just share them with you. 2 Kings 20, verse 1 to 11. We have King Hezekiah, this great revivalist king. He gets sick and he's at the point of death. There's something wrong with his body. Some kind of wasting disease has come upon him. And he's quite concerned about it. He goes to the Lord and he, he kind of pleads with God about his role and who God is in his life and all that. And God hears him and he sends the prophet Isaiah. And this is how Hezekiah is healed. God says to Hezekiah, put a poultice of figs on him and I'll heal him. Get a bag of figs and stick it on his body where he's sick and he'll get well. And he does. That says a lot about figs, I think, doesn't it? But notice that there's also God's prophetic announcement with this. I think it's a combination of things. This is really a, a prophetic healing coming through to the king. And then in 1 Timothy, we have this account with Paul the Apostle. He's speaking to his young protege, Timothy, and he says, Hey, Timothy, um, don't just drink water because of your stomach problems, which are quite regular. Every now and then, drink wine. And all the wine drinkers just said, amen. amen. <laughs> Don't just drink water because of your stomach problems. Drink some wine too. This is Paul speaking. This is the apostle Paul who laid his hands on people and they were healed often. This is Paul. They gave him handkerchiefs and he held them and they took them out of his hands and those handkerchiefs went out into the streets and people were healed and demons were cast out of people when they touched their handkerchiefs. And Timothy's hanging out with Paul. And somehow, the healing hasn't occurred yet. So Paul says, there's a natural remedy for you. It's called wine. Now, I can just imagine after this message, a whole bunch of you are going to go down to the grocery store. <laughs> and you're going to go down the aisles. And you're say, what are you here for? I'm here for figs and wine. <laughs> because apparently, God uses figs and wine to restore people's bodies. He does. Aren't you glad for that? I am so glad that God gives us things in the natural realm to use. I'm thankful for Tylenol. <laughs> I'm one of those people that, you know, when there's a weather change in Airdrie, which is like every third day, an 18 degree difference in weather will give me the weather experience. And I will get a headache. I will feel like a truck drove over me. I'll want to go lay down on a floor somewhere. And I endure this stuff. I'm not the only one, obviously. And there are times I just press through it and get up and it's over. And it takes a while, but it usually takes several hours. And there's times that I pray and it, and it gets minimized. And there's times that I pray and it doesn't get minimized. And I go get Tylenol. And I say, thank you, God, for Tylenol. For the Tylenol people on the planet, thank you very much. I'm so glad we have stuff like that. I'm, I'm so glad we have cough medicine and tensor bandages and surgeons who know what they're doing. Yeah. And we honor those of you in the medical profession here. We honor you for your contribution, for your vocation, for your calling, because you are part of the way that God is at work in this world, healing people's bodies, touching their lives, restoring them. God works through paramedics, doctors, nurses, surgeons, and EMS people, and all of that. I am so thankful for that. 
And there's more and more research going on in these areas. Now, let me warn you about something that's popular in our culture that's being promoted as a really important thing that you need to stay healthy. Are you ready for it? There's something that we are enticed to do that's very much prevalent in our times, and if you don't do it, it's like you're almost missing out of some healing capacity in your life. And I think we should avoid it, and I want to warn you against it. And it's called yoga. Got the same response in the first service. It's called yoga. It's so popular in culture, most people don't know the background of it. And it comes from a Hindu pantheistic world religion. It's based in, based in a pantheistic philosophy of life where it says everything is God. And, and uh, you can tap into that. And, and it's all about breathing and stretching and all that. And you know what? It's good to do breathing properly. It's good to stretch properly. But you don't need to do it with yoga. I'm warning you. Stay away from yoga. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I just bought cool yoga clothes. You can still wear them. But avoid yoga, seriously. If you don't believe me, go to equip.org and type in yoga and spend a few hours reading about it. Don't just skim. Not good stuff. And there's no such thing as Christian yoga. Just get that out of your mind. No such thing as Christian yoga. The word yoga means yoke. It's trying to yoke you with a spirit behind a world religion called Hinduism. And at the entry level, it doesn't seem like it, but I'm telling you, it'll rob you of health. It'll rob you of peace. There are better ways to quieten your life down. One of them is meditate on Scripture. You see, you're not supposed to ever empty your mind. The Bible does not encourage us to have a mindlessness. So we're to reflect on God and His character and claim His promises and His words in our lives. And there's great alternatives in the Christian world to yoga that you can pursue. I hope that you take it to heart. So, all of these things that are out there, many of them good. Remember this, use them, but put your faith only in God. Don't put your faith in Tylenol. I mean, really? No, who's the God who put the science behind all that? He's our God. We put our faith in God, not in the medicine, even though we may use it. And it's not a second-class healing when you're being healed through medicine. God made the hands of the surgeon, gave him or her the capacity to cut you open and take stuff out or put stuff in. Just thank him for that. Now, someone might say, how come people suffer in this life and others don't? Well, that's a really big topic. I went to a conference once, and oh, it was probably 15 years ago. It was a four-day conference on understanding suffering and the will of God. I went to every session. It was all day long. All the sessions were an hour and a half. And I walked away from there with a lot of stuff that was very helpful. And here's the conclusion. There's, there's suffering in this world. It doesn't mean God isn't good and some things you can't understand. So it just saved you a lot of heartache there and a lot of effort. But some people think, if I get sick, it must be God's will for me to get sick. No, it isn't. Never. God's not going to afflict you with sickness. He sent his son into the world to die for your sins and suffer for all your sins and your sicknesses and diseases. He's not opposed to that. 
The work of Jesus is to set us free, to make us whole. Now, I know you got some questions in your mind. Hang on to them. God's will for us, if we understand divine will, is for us to have freedom from sin, to have wholeness in life and health. Third John, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that in all things you may prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. Prosperity and health are the will of God for us. Sickness, not the will of God for us. This brings us to the issue of God's will. There are people who think, even in churches, it's God's will that I got cancer. It's God's will that I got this disease. It's God's will that I'm suffering with this pain in my body. Let's understand something about about God's will. God's will can't just be pinned down in a way that makes us understand it with, without some real effort here. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it tells us this, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is not willing that anyone would perish, be eternally lost in the fires of hell. God does not want anyone to perish. He is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Will everybody come to repentance? No. Is God's will done? Yes. God, God, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He, he, he lives out of that posture towards people. Some people will end up rejecting him in this life, and they will perish eternally. Same thing applies to this area of healing. God's will is that we not suffer in our bodies physically. He's provided for that. Will some of us suffer in our bodies physically? Yes, but what is his will? He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be whole. Eternity apart from God is the end result of those who say, I don't need you. It's part of the consequences of our choices. But when the person says in the church, it's God's will for me to have cancer, we say to them on the basis of the authority of the scriptures, no, it's not. You may experience cancer. God may allow that to happen, but it's not his will to give it to you. There's a big difference between the two. Remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he healed everybody who came to him when he was walking this earth. He's sitting at the Father's right hand right now in heaven. He's the same Jesus. He hasn't switched gears on you. If you come to him, he wants to heal you. Same Jesus. Same Lord. The one who dealt with our sorrows and sicknesses in this world is at the right hand of the Father, and he says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I'll give you rest. He has provided for us an avenue for healing. Some Christians say, well, God in his sovereign plan is just asking me to suffer with this. Well, it depends what you mean by suffering. And we should not blame everything onto the sovereignty of God that we can't explain, by the way. If we're not healed, we just say we're not healed yet. We search our hearts, we pray, we open ourselves up in community, We allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But we don't come to the conclusion that God doesn't want to heal us. Are you with me? God always wants to heal you. All the time. 
He's good to you all the time, no matter what. Does everybody get healed who comes to him and, and have that instantaneous experience? Apparently not, but that doesn't change who God is. It just tells us that there are other things going on. What about suffering in the gospel? Some people say, Jesus gave me a cross to bear, and it's MS, or it's cancer. Now, that's not his cross for you to bear. That's an illness that has happened to you that he wants to touch you in that area and, and help you with. But when you're picking up your cross, and there is a cross, and when you're suffering because of the cross, it has to do with what you go through as a person who's seeking to walk in righteousness and in the light and where you will not give in to the temptations of this world, and you suffer because of that, and people don't like you because of that, and there's irritation, and there's warfare, and there's pressure. That's what the biblical word for suffering for the gospel means. It's the kind of suffering Jesus did, rejected by men. Some people say, yeah, but my dad had a heart attack, and God used my dad's heart attack to bring all of us together. I mean, the whole family got together during that time and our relationships got better and we prayed together and the love was restored in our family. That is awesome. God's just using circumstances to bless you. But God wasn't giving the heart attack. As one writer put it, Speaking of God's capacity, he said, God can win with any hand. You just give him a pair of twos and he can win with it. <laughs> he is so powerful. But there's a difference between what he wills and what he allows. And that's where faith comes in. We've got to understand the difference between those two. Your father is not willing that you suffer physically. You may, you might, might happen to you. Let him speak to you about that. Sickness is not your cross to bear. Your cross to bear is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus in this world. Here's where we need a, um, a warfare mindset and not a warehouse mindset. A warehouse mindset in the church is this. We're in this nice cozy building. Let's just close the doors. Let's just love on each other. It's all kumbaya. We've got these cool things. Jesus loves us. All of our needs are met. Let's stay in this cozy little place so that we can enjoy all the benefits of God because there are benefits that's not the full biblical view at all. We're to go out from here, right? Out of the warehouse. The proper mindset or view is a warfare view. We're at war. There is an enemy. He hates us. And Jesus has crushed his head. And the cleanup victory is in process. And you're on the team. If we have a warfare mindset, we understand stuff happens. You go through trials. You go through temptations. You get shot at. It hurts. And sometimes the best thing we can do is face the issues of healing through understanding we need to take down the influence of the demonic in the people's lives who are afflicted by evil spirits. I'm not making it up. Some of you uh, know who Martin Luther is, Martin Luther people here. Any Lutherans in your heart? It's okay if you are. We love Lutheran people and the Lutheran background and the great reformation that Martin Luther and others launched in the 1500s. Martin Luther had a friend named Philip Melanchthon. 
He was his assistant theologian. And if you're Lutheran, you already know this. And uh, Martin Luther was like an alpha dog leader in the Reformation. He was big, bold, brash guy. He's the kind of man that it tells us that when he was in his study writing, and of course he, he waxed eloquently on the doctrine, the justification by faith, that when Satan would appear in his room, he picked up his inkwell and threw it against the wall and smashed it and said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's Martin Luther. Very bold, very demonstrative. Well, he hears that his friend Philip Melanchthon one day uh, is ill at the point of death. Gets a note on that, so he travels by carriage over to see his friend Philip Melanchthon. The story goes like this. He mournfully bent over Philip, sobbing, and gave utterance to a sorrowful exclamation. It roused Melanchthon from his stupor. Melanchthon looked into the face of Luther and said, Oh, Luther, is that you? Why don't you let me depart in peace? Martin Luther said, We can't spare you yet, Philip. And turning around, he threw himself on his knees, that's Martin Luther, and wrestled with God for the recovery of his friend for upwards to an hour. He went from his knees to the bed and took his friend by the hand and said, Again, uh, he, uh, Melanchthon said, Dear Luther, why don't you let me depart in peace? No, no, Philip, we cannot spare you yet, was the reply. Then Martin Luther ordered some soup, and when pressed to take it, Melanchthon declined, saying, Dear Luther, why will you not let me go home and be at rest? We cannot spare you yet, Philip, was the reply. And then he added, Philip, take this soup, or I will excommunicate you. <laughs> Lutheran. He had the soup. And from that moment on, Melanchthon grew better. He was healed. Yeah. Lutherans have this in their background. The guy gets to a point where he says, it is unacceptable for, for me to realize you're going to die. I need you too much. So we're going to God about this. It's a warfare paradigm. And it's required at times. In dealing with a demonic and sickness, we read this about Jesus, on one occasion, tells us there in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, it tells us that on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Verse 16, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? This is Jesus dealing with someone who's demonized. This woman had a, if you look in the original language, it's a spirit of infirmity, crippling her for 18 years until finally she comes into the presence of Jesus and he breaks it off of her, and she's healed. She straightens up. Wow. The Bible tells us that the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. 10. But it also tells us in 1 John 3.8 that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Jesus is so powerful, and he's powerful in you. The devil is often involved with the afflicting of people with illnesses. But we're living in a time when some people say 
God afflicts people with sickness and disease, which means he's taken over the role from the enemy. And now in some Christian circles, Christian leaders who proclaim that God is a healing God are slandered as doing the works of the devil. The whole roles are reversed. We do believe in a God who heals. God wants to heal people. Yes, he allows suffering. Yes, he allows hardship. Yes, even sickness can come into our lives, but that doesn't mean that he's willed it and he wants us to come to him for that need to be met. God is always good to me no matter what. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 12 here for a moment, just briefly as we move to the finish line. This is an important passage for many people because so often people in churches view this as justification for allowing sickness to just remain in their lives. And that's not the intent. 2 Corinthians 12 at verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. And Paul says this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Right. Paul has this thing called a thorn in the flesh. And he's, he's giving us a clue here about what it's all about. Some people think it was eye trouble. They think it was a physical problem that he was experiencing. And so he was just sort of giving words to his eye trouble, which is hinted at in other places in the Scripture. Other people have said it's a humiliating characteristic. Human agents who followed him around and, and ridiculed him could also be a, a, one of the answers. But I want you to look hard at that phrase, thorn in the flesh, for a moment. And realize that Paul, as a rabbi, is quoting from the Old Testament from three sources. Numbers 33, 55, Joshua 23, 13, and Judges 2, verse 3. And in all of those Verses, you can look them up later, you'll see that it's referring to people or the enemy who oppose the Israelites from going forward into the promised land. It's not talking about physical sickness. A messenger from Satan, Paul calls it. A messenger is always someone who is personal, a being, if you will, from Satan to torment me. That's not from God. God doesn't torment his people. God allowed this, though. So Paul goes to God about this, and he asks the Lord to take it away, seeks him three times, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. What is the thorn in the flesh? I'm persuaded to believe that it's this. You can come to your own conclusion. Paul had people following him around who discredited him. They were a thorn in his side, they slandered him. They spoke ill of him. They tried to ruin his reputation wherever he went in the Roman Empire. And he wanted them gone from his life, and God didn't do it. 
This leads us to the point of embracing mystery. In other words, we've got to land somewhere, (laughs) and when we know the things that we know, and there's still some questions in our hearts, we have to land on mystery by faith and say, God, I don't know all things, but you know all things. Sometimes the righteous do suffer, not because they've done something wrong at all. Job is an example of that. And if you remember the story of Job, you know this, that in chapters 1 and 2, he was put under the test by God who allowed Satan to tempt him and afflict his body. God didn't afflict Job. Satan did. God allowed it. And he responds in a righteous way. If you go all the way through the book of Job, you'll see around chapter 33 or so, he starts to hint at asking why. Why me? Why am I suffering? Although he doesn't do it in a sinful way. But then in chapter 38, God shows up and says, who is this who's talking to me? And from 38 to 42 to the end of the book of Job, we see God showing Job and his friends that they really don't have a clue what's going on. In chapter 42, it says this, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. And Job repented in dust and ashes, though he was a righteous man. He's restored, he gets healed, and favor from God returns to him. What do we learn from this? Here's what we learn from this, friends. We don't need to ask why. We just need to ask what. What do you want me to do? What are you saying to me? I know, but I want to ask why. Are you sure you want the answer? Do you think you can handle it? Sometimes God won't give us the answer because it's way beyond our capacity. And we still say, God is always good to me no matter what. Invite our worship team up. I'm telling you, friends, this is not an easy message to bring today. And I want you to know, in my own life, it has been agonizing to kind of bring this out to you this morning. And my hope and prayer is that some of you got some comfort today, realizing perhaps, maybe for the first time, that God is not afflicting you with sickness. Even if you are sick, it's not his will for you to suffer like that. And my hope is also that some of us will will step into a realm of faith where we know that God is good no matter what. I don't have to fully understand. I don't have to know why. I can just keep coming to him and coming to him and coming to him and asking for healing because Jesus provided that for me. I don't have to wait a second on that. The posture of Jesus has always come to me. I want to heal you all the time. All the time. I want to lift that off of you. I want you to be well. And so then we pray for healing and we believe him for it. We ask for healing and we expect it. We trust for breakthroughs in our lives. And we seek God for it. And we weep with those who weep. 
and we mourn with those who mourn and we say he is good to me all the time no matter what pray with me friends Father I pray in Jesus name that you will lift off anyone here whatever they're struggling with sickness pain trauma discouragement a sense of defeat would you just lift it off of them right now Lord take it off of them right now take it off of them you came to set us free you never make mistakes and we come to you because of who you are you are the God who heals and your grace is sufficient for us all the time Father, I pray that all of us would lean in deeply to this revelation that you've given to us today of your heart, your compassion, your goodness, your love. Strengthen those who need strengthening right now. Whatever you need from Jesus right now, friends, just ask him for it. Ask him for it. He's here. He's touching people right now. Receive it by faith. Claim from Him what you need. Believe Him for it. Rest in Him. God is always good to me no matter what. Thank you, Lord, for whatever you've done here today. And you've done lots. Thank you for freedom that's gained. Thank you for burdens that are lifted. Thank you for touches in the body that have changed people. Thank you for drawing our hearts to you again. Thank you for inspiring our faith. Thank you, Lord, for showing us again who you really are. And we will not build a theology on what you don't do, but a theology on what you do do. And we declare that today. Our God heals. The Lord heals. His hand is with us. And we thank Him for that. Friends, our ministry team will be up here at the front. If you have a need that has not yet been met, come on up here and we will pray for you. We'd love to do that. The rest of us, may God encourage your heart. Maybe sit for a moment in your chair if you want to and just soak in whatever God's doing in your life right now. And the rest of us, enjoy the day and be blessed. Be blessed, be blessed.